All right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Kimberly, bringing you lesser-known true crime stories. How's everyone doing? Yeah, it felt really good to come back, recording, like, a couple weeks ago. It was really good. It was nice. Felt really good to get, like, to get back into the swing of things. Also, really couldn't wait to get this episode out to you. So, yay. As I promised, it was, like, a couple weeks. So, yay. Forward momentum, feeling much better. As always, I would like to take the time to thank you for joining me and lending me your ear. I know you can listen to anyone, so I am always so happy you choose to listen to me. Thank you so much for continuing to spread the what had happened word, helping grow the listenership. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's your shout out time. I see you, Detroit, Gross Point, Flint, Kalamazoo, and Dearborn, Michigan. Hey there, Kansas City, Overland Park, Wichita, Topeka, and Prairie Village, Kansas. Howdy, Irving, Waco, Katy, San Antonio, and El Paso, Texas. As I live and breathe, I love you, New Orleans, Lake Charles, Benton, Denham Springs, and Shreveport, Louisiana. How's it going, Philadelphia, Levittown? Nice, that's impressive. Pittsburgh, Altoona, and Erie, Pennsylvania. I am so excited to have you come back. Missoula, Billings, Power, Bozeman, and Sealy Lake, Montana. Welcome back, brothers and sisters in the north. Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Quebec, Canada. Welcome back. Zurich, Hess, Bavaria, Ronland, Flats, and Hamburg, Germany. So good to see you again, Uttar Pradesh, Kerala, Delhi, and Assam, India. Como estas, Jalisco, Sinaloa, Chihuahua, Chiapas, and Quintana Roo, Mexico. Welcome back, Sao Paulo and Rondonia, Brazil. Nice to see you, Kuala Lumpur and Sangalore, Malaysia. Welcome back, Accra, Kamasi, to Karate and Sunyani, Ghana. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the likes, shares, and subscribes. Don't forget to join the What Had Happened Facebook group and all of the other socials. Also, don't forget there's an email address, so feel free to drop me a line or two. You know, long-time listener, super fan, first-time emailer, just keep it clean. Or also, more importantly, um, if you have a case you'd like to hear me cover, let me know. All links, as usual, can be found in the description box, along with my references. So, last episode, I discussed two separate cases of spousal homicide committed whilst in the honeymoon phase of marriage. I mean, like, they kind of use that term a little loosely. One was legit on a honeymoon, and the other were like, I don't know. I don't know. It was like within that first week, but I don't know. I don't know what you would call that because Jordan Lynn Graham was not with that shit. For sure. Anywho, today I will be telling you what had happened to five young women who came across... They crossed paths with... Okay, they called him a... That's right, you heard it hiker killer but he was also like a lookalike killer depending on which publications you read during the time there were correlations in both 
realm. So just know that I am going to be gritting my fucking teeth most of this episode. Hmm. Anyways, I'm going to tell you what had happened when five women crossed paths with Thor Nice Christensen between 1976 and 1979 in California. Thorvald Nice Christensen was born on December 28, 1957. Now it's kind of speculative as to whether it was in California or if it was in Denmark, but you know me, I'm nosy. So I found some shit out. So pretty sure he was born here in California. And that's what we're going with. Who? To Danish immigrants, Nice Johannes and Anne-Marie Christensen. Thor was the first of three children the couple would have. When his parents immigrated, they drove a cross-country trip with another couple from New York to California. Initially living in Inglewood before settling permanently in the Danish community of Slovang, which is nestled in Southern California's Santa Ynez Valley. The Christiansons opened, actually it was more than one, but th- at the time they opened a popular restaurant and they totally became a part of the community, which reminded them of the old country. I mean, like there was Danish culture, architecture, like windmills and stuff, you know. I bet the tulips in spring were gorgeous. Like, I'm pretty sure there was probably, like, picture it. I mean, like, I've lived in, like, really small, quaint towns where there were, like, signs for, like, the parking space for, like, the garden of, you know, like, the best gardener of the, like, the person who won, like, best garden in the community. Like, they'd have, like, a special parking spot in, like, certain places. Stuff like that. I bet they had, like, tulips festivals or something there too because tulips windmills clogs anyways um so there was a lot of the architecture and traditions especially like speaking the language amongst each other so also raising your children with the old tongue with the tongue of the old world as well you know integrated with you know your english and stuff um so All of these traditions were ever-present throughout the town, and it made the transition from Denmark to California much easier for the family. Nice was described by by the people who knew him best as a very hard-working man who had an unbridled sense of adventure. Others said he had a ferocious temper and drank heavily. Anne-Marie worked hard alongside her husband, it was said that she loved keeping the Slovang community fed with their amazing Danish food. And while Nice was said to be hard on Thor, Anne-Marie was extremely loving and adoring. Um, as a boy growing up, Thor was an excellent student in school. However, there was always a darkness that could appear like the flip of a switch in him. One minute he could be playing with his friends laughing and the next he could turn on them attacking or like being like super vindictive. Like one friend said that like when they were in like sixth or seventh grade or something like that, like every day 
they would be on the basketball court playing and like clockwork at one point towards the end of recess Thor would take his friend's basketball and chuck it clear the fuck across the blacktop like into I don't know the field or some shit where homie would have to go like retrieve his shit and he would be late for class like every fucking day because like Thor would be fine with him and then the next thing he'd be like booyah now you get to be late for class bitch ha 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 like he was just a vindictive little bitch and I'm a you know with his friends um friends would recall as a boy Thor Thor thoroughly enjoyed torturing and killing animals all right some real dumpster douche dumpster douche juice shit right here his favorite means of torture by the time he was in the sixth grade would be to catch bullfrogs and sparrows with a butterfly net attaching fireworks to the creatures and lighting them relishing in the moment the birds and bullfrogs would explode by seventh grade thor would be drinking and smoking by the time thor who had grown up in his parents' restaurant, entered high school, he weighed roughly around like 275 pounds, making it difficult for him to keep up with his friends who were, you know, more physically fit and active and like, you know, engaging in normal teenage stuff like chasing after girls and dating and hanging out and just, I don't know, doing normal shit, I don't know, the fuck is normal, I guess, but shit, like, doing stuff that you would, you know, customarily do as a teenager. Isolated in that regard, Thor began smoking marijuana and drinking heavily, and his grades slipped. Peers recalled Thor being spoiled by his parents. On his 16th birthday, they presented their son with an Audi. Anne-Marie was said to leave Thor $20 every morning that he would use to buy alcohol and cigarettes before school. Like, he was said to have been, like, going into class already having had, like, a couple of drinks before school even started. Although Thor tried to fit in with his group of friends, he began to isolate himself from everyone as they grew older. One friend recalled that even as a young man at times, Thor would say things that made him verbally question Thor's scruples. Thor, he said, was, quote, mad at the world. In 1976, Thor's junior year was tanking substantially, so he just dropped out. Like, I mean, I'm not saying, like, just dropped out, but, like, he dropped out of school. And after leaving school, Thor got a job as a gas station attendant and then got his own apartment, further isolating himself from everyone. Also high-key, Thor hated and resented women. Thor believed that the women around him snickered and made fun of his husky build and appearance. Thor hated that his friends and most everyone around him was dating and he couldn't get a single girl to even smile in his direction. During this time of like extreme isolation, Thor 
who, as a boy, tortured animals, began fantasizing about shooting women in the head and having sex with their corpses. <sighs> as Thor's fantasies intensified, at some point he decided he wanted to act on those fantasies and make them a reality. While hanging out with a friend, Thor stole the friend's twenty-two caliber pistol from him. On November 20th, 1976, 19-year-old Thor would complete his fantasy. Thor traveled 41 minutes south of Slovang down the 101 to the college town of Isla Vista, home of the University of California, Santa Barbara, or USBC. The community of Isla Vista, which housed the students of USBC, uh, was 15 miles away from downtown Santa Barbara, which made it its own quaint little insular little e ecosystem. Because the college community was kind of like remote, hit, hitch, I understand this. I'm, I'm really about to rationalize it, but you know I really hate this fucking word. Put your fucking thumbs back. I'm sorry. Like, you know how I feel about hitchhiking. Like, I hate hitchhiking. Like, because of this alone. Because of, there were so many people who preyed on people like this. It, it, the numbers are just absurd. I hate this. And there's so many people who have never been found because of this. And so I really get grossed out by hitchhiking. Sorry, guys. You should know by now. But new ones to the group, I hate hitchhiking. <sighs> because the college community was like kind of remote, hitchhiking was the preferred means of travel for a lot of the students, including 21-year-old student and Francisco Torres resident advisor Jacqueline Rook, who was last seen hitchhiking near a bus stop after telling her friends she was going shopping. <sighs> November 20th. While it was alarming, it wasn't a full-on panic situation in the community when, you know, she disappeared. But two weeks later, on December 6, 1976, 19-year-old Mary Ann Saris from Santa Rosa vanished into thin air. Because Mary Ann had history as well of hitchhiking, and also, I don't really... Okay, here we go. Here's how you're going to keep me from cringing. I don't really want to say hitchhiking per se in some of these cases because in some instances if you were at the bus stop you weren't necessarily hitchhiking if somebody pulled up and asked if you needed a ride somewhere and it was like it seemed familiar or it seemed safe same concept but it feels less like put your thumb back in your pocket so also, the newspaper kept throwing this out there that there was a history of hitchhiking amongst all these people, so there's that. So she had a history of hitchhiking, and it was believed that after leaving her 4.30 p.m. doctor's appointment at the Galeta Valley Cottage, or Galeta, Galeta Valley Cottage Hospital, Mary Ann stepped onto Hollister Avenue and hitched a ride. 
Mary Ann juggled two waitressing jobs in Goleta. So around the time of Mary Ann's disappearance, there was also a rape in an Isla Vista apartment as well as in a dorm room that were reported to local police. At this time, hitchhiking was suspected in both disappearances. But you know what? This is also like the kind of narrative that they would spin when children were abducted and parents were just told, oh, your kid probably just ran away. So that's why I kind of like, I don't necessarily want to say that they were hitchhiking because I know that that is a belief, but I feel as if they're, they weren't necessarily hitching. (sighs) The student body and community of Isla Vista came together to raise awareness against hitchhiking. The students had a feeling that, and also taking rides from strangers. The students had a feeling that there was a killer in their midst and began to take these uncommon disappearances and what that could mean as a serious threat. It was becoming increasingly clear that there was a predator on the loose. The community picketed the offices of MTD, which was the bus line, demanding evening bus services between Isla Vista and Santa Barbara to help eliminate the need to take rides from strangers. One of the students who was ever active in crusading for her and her peers' safety was 21-year-old Patricia Marie Laney. Patricia was an extremely active member and participant like within her university experience. Patricia volunteered at the Isla Vista Credit Union that the students created, the food co-op, local fledgling medical clinics that they established. When the whispers of a predator preying on young women in the, in the community became more like, like, Rars. there you go. Ooh, that was good. We had an echo to that. Rars. Oh, shit. Patricia didn't hesitate to help. She was like handing out flyers and attending rallies, helping to spread the word of safety, discouraging people from hitching. She was like, hey guys, put your thumbs back in your pockets and let's arrive alive. Safety in numbers. Don't talk to strangers. Be on the alert. And also, have you seen these two missing women? She was vigilant. Patricia was also an actress and a member of a juggling group called the Strombolis. On the afternoon of January 18, 1977, Patricia and a member of her juggling group practiced their routine for their upcoming performance of Peter Pan. She was going to be Wendy. After practice, the two parted ways as ever busy Patricia needed to scoot on to her mime class. Following her class, Patricia went to the area Mary Ann Saris had disappeared to hang missing person signs. She stood at the bus stop on Hollister and Patterson, awaiting a ride from a fellow theater group member who was running late. And that's when Patricia disappeared. The day following Patricia's disappearance, a newer of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office, like deputies or whatever, He was patrolling nearby Refugio Canyon on an isolated road in the Santa Ynez Mountains 
northwest of Isla Vista near Rancho del Cielo. If Rancho del Cielo sounds familiar, that, I think that was Ronald Reagan's property. Like, for sure, I know that the body was found near Ronald Reagan's ranch, and that sounds like the name of it. So, yeah, Rancho del Cielo, uh, when Patricia's body was located. Patricia was shot in the head and then appeared to have been just, like, pushed out onto the side of the road. There was, like, no attempts to hide the body. Approximately eight-tenths of a mile away from Patricia's body, police found her belongings and bloody paper towels, like napkins from, like, a fast food place or something like that. The following day, as police continued to converge upon Refugio Canyon, processing Patricia Laney's crime scene, police made another gruesome discovery when they found Jacqueline Rook's remains further up the same isolated road. Like Patricia, Jacqueline had been shot twice in the head, her clothes removed post-mortem. It would later be determined that Thor completed his fantasies by sexually assaulting their corpses. Throughout this six months following the murders and disappearance, police interviewed and questioned scores of men in the area. Thor managed to stay off of police's radar until February 1977. Late one night, he and a friend were, like, parked in a remote area as a hangout, like, location for teens. As Thor and his friend drank and smoked inside of his car, Thor kept his foot on the brake pedal. A police officer making his rounds of the area saw the light and approached Thor's vehicle. Thor was cited for drinking underage, and the marijuana the two were smoking was confiscated. Thor was said to have protested for a while with the officer when he asked to look inside of Thor's trunk. Finally relenting, he opened the trunk. The officer found a 22 caliber pistol Thor had claimed was for shooting rabbits, which wasn't uncommon at the time, you know, for the area with, like, duders and chickies or whatever. Who knows, whatever. It, just, it was a part of the area. It was a part of the culture. It was whatever. It was part of the scene. But... It was confiscated. Now, Thor's friend thought that his explanation for having the 22 sounded off because, as he said, Thor wasn't one for getting dirty. Like, he wasn't one to, like, step off the curb into, like, grass or mud or a puddle. Like, he liked to keep his shit clean, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. He also was not outdoorsy. He wasn't into doing, like, the outdoors mini type activities that, like, his friends were into, like, fishing and riding ATVs and dirt bikes and stuff like that. Thor liked to keep it chill. But whatevs, he kind of, like, shook it off. Now, during this interaction, Thor still managed to elude police, police's radar in regards to the murders up in Isla Vista. Shortly after this encounter, though, Thor moved to Oregon. Now, on May 22, 1977, the skeletal remains of Mary Ann Saris were discovered near Los Alamos in Drum Canyon. After spending a few months in Oregon, Thor returned to Solvang. Friends noticed that Thor had slimmed down and fixed his eye, which was a shrunken, non-functional eye referred to as a dead eye. Thor had also completed 
getting his high school diploma at the local junior college, uh, and as well as moved into an apartment with his girlfriend, Carrie Solis, who was a young woman he met while she was hitchhiking. Carrie would say that while living with Thor, his sexual appetite was insatiable. Carrie said that they had sex upwards of five times a day. Holy friction, Batman. Fuck. That's gotta hurt. Like, every day. We don't rest on Sunday. Okay, so when Thor returned, his friend said that Thor began taking frequent trips to Los Angeles, more specifically, Hollywood, all of Richard Cottingham, who loved preying on the sex workers of Times Square, literally at the same time that Thor was cruising the Hollywood Strip, preying on the sex workers that were prevalent in that area. Mm. After getting his feet wet with abductions and uh, murder, essentially, like, in his backyard in 1976, Thor learned it was easier to go undetected hunting in an area where the intended prey would openly get into his car and wouldn't be missed. The slayings in Isla Vista garnered way too much attention. On April 18, 1979, Thor drove to Hollywood. As he slithered, slithered through the throngs of traffic, he pulled up alongside Lydia Preston, an African-American sex worker who was like, the, the ages were between 21 and 24 that I read, so I'm going to say she was 21. When Lydia leaned into the window, he asked Lydia if she'd like to go on a date. After discussing prices for services, $45 an hour, Thor said yes, and she slipped into the passenger seat. Thor, the two pulled away into the night. As they began driving, Lydia pointed out or told Thor of numerous motels they could go to to handle business. Each time, Thor rejected her suggestions and continued to drive away from the city. While they drove through the winding Hollywood Hills, Thor made small talk with Lydia, telling her that he was a construction worker on vacation from Santa Barbara, just driving around looking for some fun. Thor pulled out a gun and shot Lydia in the head. Lydia grabbed the steering wheel while causing the car to crash. Afterward, she was able to escape the crash and run to a house nearby. Lydia was rushed to Cedar sinai Med Medical Center, it was discovered that Lydia had been shot in the left ear, shattered the bone, causing partial deafness and scarring. The bullet was extracted, and Lydia survived her attack. She was released like a few days later. On May 26, 1979, Thor hit the strip again. Laura Sue Benjamin was a 23-year-old African-American woman working the strip. After approaching Thor and asking if he was interested in going on a date, she climbed into his car. The taillights headed 
heading towards the hills and canyons that overlook Tinseltown. Thor shot Laura in the head and sexually assaulted her body before discarding her remains in a culvert located close to the Angeles Forest Highway and Big Tahunga Road north of Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Mountains. On July 11, 1979, Lydia Preston was out of the hospital. She's basically like getting back to her life before her harrowing attack three months prior. Listen, a girl's got to work, right? Like, chef don't judge. Whew. So Lydia was at the bottom line bar in Hollywood when a familiar figure walked in. And Lydia immediately recognized Thor as being the John who attempted to kill her in April. So Lydia like leaped from her seat and ran to the back of the bar and called the police from a payphone. First of all, Lydia said they put her ass on hold. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Like, what's your emergency? Please hold. What? He's here. Okay, so... She's on the phone, and, like, the detective was like, Detective so-and-so, and she's like, Girl, he's here. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, yo, back in April, this scuzzy-ass dude picked me up, right? Took me up to the hills, shot me in the fucking face, and then, like, I, like, got away, and I'm alive, and guess what? He just walked into the bar that I'm sitting at right now. Come and get him. So guess what? Finally, the police show up and Thor, who still happened to be there, and Lydia, I hope, was like hanging out in the back back, like slid down a fucking wall or something in between the jukebox, like, you know, like hid, like soap. She was invisible, you know, like for real, you can't see me, like until the police showed up and then she could point him out and everything else. So when they showed up, she was like, hey, y'all. That Danish fuck over there, he did it. 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 Look at my face. I can't even hear you out of the left side of my ear. Look at the scarring. He did it. So they arrested him for felonious assault and the attempted murder of Lydia Preston. Now, while Thor was in custody, Santa Barbara police began to see similarities in the Isla Vista murders and the crimes Thor had committed in Hollywood. On July 27, 1979, Thor was formally charged with three counts of first-degree murder in Santa Barbara for the murders of Jacqueline Rook, Mary Ann Saris, and Patricia Laney. Thor was held without bond until his trial. February 4, 1980, Thor went to trial for the murder of Laura C. Benjamin. Actually, that was what he was supposed to go to trial, but that shit got prolonged, so it was actually, like, mayish. Anywho, he went to trial for the murder of Laura Sue Benjamin. Now, initially, Thor entered a plea of insanity. He entered two. It was like, not guilty, and like, not guilty by like means of insanity. Like, it was like a double whammy. Um, but, oh, also, there was no jury for this one, so... Thor entered a plea of insanity, but later withdrew that plea. In a non-jury trial, Thor was sentenced to 25 years 
for the murder of Laura Sue Benjamin and an additional nine years for the attempted murder and attack on Lydia Preston. Now, following this sentence of 36 years for the crimes committed in Los Angeles, Thor went to trial for the three murders in Isla Vista. When Superior Court Judge Rickard sentenced Thor to life in prison, he recommended Thor be ineligible for parole in 24 years. Now, you see, at the time the crimes were committed, there was like a statute that stated that Thor could serve both his 36-year sentence and life sentence concurrently, meaning all at once instead of consecutively, which would have been Optimus Prime because it would have ensured that he wouldn't have been eligible per- for parole until he was well into his like 60s or so. Um, so Thor was remanded to Folsom State Prison. Uh, and, uh, he was sent there to serve his, you know, to serve his sentences. But he didn't last long. So on March 30th, 1981, whilst on the prison yard, Thor was stabbed once in the chest with a Ten and a half inch. Yes, I said inch, not centimeter. Shank. Okay, so I had a quick question before I started recording. Like, is it a shank or is it a shiv? Like, what the fuck constitutes the difference between a shank or a shiv? And I'm gonna tell you, I Google a lot of fucked up shit, but that was <laughs> not the thing. I'm not laughing. I'm just saying, like, I feel like there's, is there a difference? Are they the same thing? I I don't know. But what I know is that this weapon of destruction was constructed from a piece of sheet metal. 20 minutes after Thor collapsed on the yard, he was pronounced dead. Nobody was found to be the person who killed Thor. Period. Now, I'll say this, and I'll say it really lightly, because I don't want to be that tropey, but I don't want to do that. I'm I'm not here for this. So here's what I heard a lot of when I was doing research on this. Now, I understand that there were racial issues um and segregation if you will amongst the races um in a lot of prison culture especially out there in California um so you've you've got your caucasian inmates stick sticking together and you got your african american inmates sticking together and you got your Hispanic inmates and Asian inmates, you know what I mean, and so on and so forth. Okay. I also understand that there are gang rivalries. I understand that there's a lot of layers to why somebody could potentially attack Thorvald Nice Christensen and Folsom. 
that was in regards to the crime that he the crimes he committed in Los Angeles. However, I don't really like to I don't want to fucking go there. Cuz we don't know who did it. Because like some people said that it was believed that it was retaliation for the crimes that Thor committed against Lydia and Laura, the two African-American victims slash survivor um, of Thor and L.A. And, that, like, the African-American populace at Folsom did not take kindly to what Thor did to them. I've heard that. I don't, we don't know, so I don't really want to fuck put that out there as a speculation, and it's a possibility, but, I mean, he could have fucking cut somebody off in the meal line. Somebody could have hated him for what he did overall, being a serial killer slash necrophiliac. You know, there... Not to, like, invoke Jeff the Jeffrey Dahmer situation, but, you know, he was also murdered whilst serving his term by someone who heard about the things that he had done and said no more. So, I mean, there's there's no saying that it wasn't a, a white inmate that killed him either. They couldn't prove, so there's that. So what had happened is this. Thor displayed a lot of fucked up shit that we have customarily picked up on a lot of our serial killers at a young age. Starting with that split personality being nice one minute and then flipping and being vindictive or malicious or hurtful you know, at the drop of a dime. We saw this with Wayne Nance. Remember he, his neighbor, the girl with the glasses on the school bus? And when her glasses fell or something like that, he picked him up and she knew right then and there that he was going to break them in half. And he looked at her pretty much and just smiled and then snapped her fucking glasses in half. Same, same with his friends. You know, um, also the torture of animals. Again, Wayne Nance, Missoula Mahler, um, when he threw those kittens into the incinerator at that little girl's parents' trailer park that they ran. The same thing would apply with Thor, with his mutilation, abuse, and killing of animals. I mean, that's really fucking dark to strap on fireworks, firecrackers onto sparrows and bullfrogs just to watch them explode. Like, that's really dark. And killing kittens and shit. Like, he would, they said that, like, he he would, like, walk down, like, he could walk down the street and he would curb stop a fucking kitten. So he had that dark, that air of darkness as well. And then isolating himself um, because he wasn't he well, first of all when i look at when i looked at pictures of thor i thought that he displayed a very classic 
look whilst he was a little robust in his weight. I mean, I couldn't find out how tall he was, but he seemed like he was a bit, a little tall. Um, blonde, bright blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, he looked like a fucking Thor, not gonna lie. Like, he looked like a Thor to me, you know, period. So, whatevs. But, you know, his feelings that of inadequacy with the opposite sex, as well as his hatred that started to brew as and resentment when his friends started to take on dates and experience these, you know, sexual experiences with girls and nobody was giving him the time of day. But he was also like isolating himself. So I wonder how much of that was him being rejected or him like just basically acting like a fucking incel there i said it i mean i don't know how else to put it like isolating himself or being rejected um he had all of that going on within himself you know and it's like it makes sense that he would travel down to Isla Vista. Now, one thing that I didn't mention is that that road that the bodies of Jacqueline and Pamela, yeah, Jacqueline and Pamela's bodies were found on, it was a remote stretch of road that realistically, you only took it if you, you were only on that road pretty much if you knew it. And it was a back route into Slovang. So there was that. And so like a lot of people knew of it. Very few people traveled it unless they knew about it. Because it was like off in the cut. And so him traveling down to Isla Vista. First of all, I highly doubt that like these women that he preyed on like were laughing at him and snickering about him. He literally targeted them. Okay, these women did nothing to him. Now, they also called him a lookalike killer because the first three women vaguely resembled each other um, in age, body type, hairstyle, probably mode of, you know, way that they dressed, things of that nature. They were all very beautiful. Couldn't find any pictures of Lydia or Laura, but the three students, or the three women up in Isla Vista, absolutely, they did, they did look similar. So he had, he had a type, he preyed on them, and he acted out these dark-ass fantasies that he had already, like, divulged low-key to his friends up the road in Sloving, and they were kind of unlined. They were, like, looking at him like, bro, you're off-kilter. You can't be fucking saying shit like that. You know, like, he felt comfortable enough to venture out, but not venture out too far. And that was his first problem, because he acted on it the first time he liked it he acted on it the second time he liked it he acted on it the third time and at this point everybody's in a frenzy within the communities and they're talking about these crimes because they're students they're university students people's parents pay 
a lot of money for tuition for their children to go to these establishments of higher learning and they don't expect their children to get murdered of course it's going to make a big fucking splash when you know students come up missing and they're murdered and then not only murdered their bodies are abused on top of that to add insult to injury and then discarded like trash what the fuck so when the heat came on and he decided yo i gotta get out of here he went up to oregon now there is some speculation that thor committed some crimes whilst away in oregon because there are a few crimes that do fit the same aesthetic as the crimes that he committed in california but they were unable to tie them to him and so i'm not gonna get into that that's like a level of super sleuthing that i am not mentally prepared to do just yet but you know who knows what comes in the future but and also what dna and things of that nature can you know provide to close those cases like over 50 years old so there's that and then when he came back he came back had a girlfriend had an insatiable sexual appetite and for all accounts like on the outside it looked like he kind of like had started to get his shit together like he had slimmed down a little bit he was like super enthusiastic about like hanging out in los angeles he was talking to his friends about like how amazing his sex life was um you know he'd gotten his eye fixed surgically so he was like feeling better about himself but i think realistically it's because thor thought that he had thought this out all the way and figured out how to go undetected which would be to no longer prey on people who would become missed now initially yeah his little caveat of them being hitchhikers yeah that could have worked however the collective of them in that area it just seemed outlandish that all three of those women you know hitchhiked their ways into their murders so he moves down to hollywood and onto the strip where there are sex workers and these women will willingly get in your car and nobody's gonna really notice when they become missing that's the fucked up thing that you know a lot of these serial killers who prey on women and men who work in the sex trade you know always kind of banked on was that nobody would report them missing and that they were more disposable so he's able to slip in a little bit even though i'm pretty sure you know a super tall blonde well it's california so blondes do come a diamond i mean i'm not saying blondes come a diamond doesn't but blondes are more prevalent you know popular so okay but you know he picks up lydia first and he only takes her up to the hollywood hills and there's homes up there okay so that's where he fucked up the first time he tried his plan in hollywood you know he didn't go away more remotely and she was able after he shot her in the ear to disarm him and get out of the vehicle by crashing it and then running to a home 
so that she could get help. And so she survived his attack. So then when he picked up Laura, having the mistakes learned from the attack on Lydia in his mind, he took her farther up into the hills, up into the San Gabriel Mountains. And murdered her and then discarded her body after sexually assaulting her. What did him in was when, you know, by happenstance, luck, fate, whatever the fuck you want to call it. He rolled up into the same watering hole that Lydia just happened to be in and she wasn't going to allow him to get away with what he did to her the first time. She wasn't allowed to get away with it. So she slipped away. She called the police and they apprehended him. Fortunately, the Santa Barbara police were able to tie him to the crimes of the, you know, the, the three women up in Isla Vista as well quickly so that he could be tried also the death penalty was not available in california at the time so that was one of the many reasons why it was like imperative that he get something like a life sentence without the possibility of parole something like super high in you know years so that Although he was going to have, he was going to have the ability to serve them concurrently when he would be eligible to get out. If eligible to get out, he would be a very old man. Um, yeah. And so, you know, also shout out to Lydia because Lydia was instrumental in getting Thor off the streets. Like he single-handedly was undone by her. Had she not survived his attack and had he not misstepped and miscalculated fucked around and found out and picked a real one he could have continued uh picking up women on the hollywood strip until who knows when um you know and again i'm not gonna speculate as to who did him in or what the reasoning was at Folsom because nobody ever came forward all these years later so it is what it is 41 years later it's the one Scooby mystery that will go unsolved whoo well that's it you guys I'm Kimberly this is the episode I'm so glad we made it through I'll be back soon with another lesser known true crime story for you Let me get you a little bit of this outro music. I will be back within like the next couple of weeks or so. See you soon. Have a great Thanksgiving if I don't drop an episode like around that time frame and all that good stuff. Have a good one.